0: This is episode number 183 of the Rising Man podcast with Jetty Azuma. It's never too late to reconnect with your past. Knowing where and who you come from may be your greatest power. up rising man family thank you for joining me again here today jetty azuma checking in behind the mic i've got a special solo episode today so it's just going to be myself sharing with you guys something that is really important to me But before I do that, I want to make sure that those of you guys out there who have not yet participated in any Rising Man events, or even if you have, even if you've been a part of our Rising Man community, and you haven't yet signed up for our 12 week Ignite course, I'm going to encourage you to do that right now. And here's why. The Ignite course that we created is a composite of all the greatest teachings, lessons and wisdoms that I've had for myself over the past 10 years all crunched into 12 weeks of amazing content. And the reason I'm encouraging so many guys to go through this is I really believe this establishes a solid foundation for you as a man to step fully into the work that you came here to do in your life. doesn't matter what you're getting into career-wise, doesn't matter where you're at relationship-wise, it is a template that will help any man establish a strong foundation for the life that he wants to build for himself. So head over to risingman.org ignite, check it out right now. I guarantee you guys, you'll get quadruple, 10 times the value that you put into it. And I'm excited to see more and more of you guys signing up for it. So. Like I said, no guests to introduce for today. Today, it's just me behind the mic sharing with you guys something that I think is a really important topic. In this episode, I'm gonna share with you guys a summary of a presentation I've given a few times regarding ancestry, collaborative lifestyle, and in my opinion, the way that we are meant to live as humans. In this episode, I started off with an ancestral heartbeat visioning that I've brought into many of my trainings and used in many different platforms before. I discussed the term rerouting, what it means and why you should care. I also brought up some fascinating realizations from my work regarding the connection to ancestry or lack thereof for modern people. And for those of you familiar with Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, I provided a brief overview of this man's work and my interpretation of it. And I also shared some information I recently learned about the continuation of his hierarchy and that all the information that most of us learn and know and associate with his hierarchy wasn't actually complete. Lastly, I wove the connection between ancestry, human needs, and rites of passage all together so that we can see a way back to community and culture. So, without further ado, myself, Jedi Azuma. Let's do it. Right, so the first thing that I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. If you're able to, if you're in the car, you can keep your eyes open. But if you're in a place where you can be in a restful position, just let your eyes come to a close and allow yourself to just focus on your breathing for a minute. Wherever your breath is at, you don't have to effort, you don't have to try and adjust or correct your breath to wherever you think it needs to be. Just notice it for a second. Take a few moments of just noticing your breath, following your breath in and out. And then, after a couple of moments, I want you to take your fingers, two fingers, and you can place them either on the inside of your wrist where you can feel your pulse on your wrist or just on the outside of your neck adjacent to your windpipe and find your pulse. If you're not accustomed to finding your pulse in either of those places, you can also just put your hand over your chest, over your heart, and feel that heartbeat. When I do this exercise, I speak about the heartbeat as the drum. It's the sacred drum that started beating in your chest the moment you were born. In fact, even before you were born, it was the first stroke of life that occurred while you were still in utero inside your mom's belly. Just imagine that for a second. Really appreciate that. Your heart has been beating for you nonstop ever since then. Never giving up on you. Unrelenting. Just going for it. Steady as it comes. Without you having to do anything. Without you having to think about it. It's the one part of yourself that's never ever given up on you. So just appreciate that for a second. Just take that in. Find some Gratitude and appreciation for that heartbeat you have. And now I want you to think about that heartbeat, that sacred drumbeat in your chest. and Think of it as the heartbeat that was given to you by your mom and your dad. Something that was created from two other human beings when they put their DNA together and made you And then some stroke of life just found its way into your body and started pumping blood and nutrients through your body. Think about your parents' parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents, and each one of those DNA relay handoffs that's happened so that you could be feeling your pulse in your body right now. Just think about that for a second. Appreciate that for a moment. Think about all the men and women whose bodies have come together, whose DNA has come together to make you. Think about all the things that other humans have done in their lives, going back thousands of generations, all the way to the time before we were even recognizable as something that was human of all the things that other humans have had to do so that you could be feeling your pulse in your body right now. How does that feel? Let's take that in for a moment. How does that feel? How does it feel to recognize and acknowledge that you come from a legacy of people? Now, maybe this is the first time you've really thought about your ancestry. Maybe this is the first time you really stopped to appreciate how much has happened so that you could be here right now listening to this podcast, listening to my voice, putting your hands on your throat or on your chest or on your wrist to feel your heartbeat. Maybe this is something that you've never done before. Or maybe this is something you've heard me speak about. Either way, how often do we take for granted the lineage and the legacy that we come from? Now, I'm gonna shift gears for a minute and I'm gonna introduce a couple of different things. You're just gonna hear me use a word a term that I believe other people are using, I'm not actually sure, but this term re-rooting. I like the term re-rooting because I think of the roots of a tree and we talk about family, legacy, and family trees. So re-rooting to me is an ancestral practice of reconnecting to the peoples that we come from. That's all. In a more plain terms, perspective. It's reconnecting with our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and even just beginning by thinking and imagining all the people who have participated in our DNA history book. That's how I like to think of it. Sometimes I talk about it as the sacred guest book, right? It's like when you go to an Airbnb and they got those guest books on the table, which... Nine times out of 10, I don't fill out, but <laughs> for those of you who do, your DNA is like a guest book that every single one of your ancestors who's contributed to your bloodline has left an entry. And that's literally pumping through your veins right now. It's been pumping through your veins ever since your heart started beating. It's amazing. So rerouting is the practice of reconnecting to that, that simple concept that you come from other peoples. Now, I'm gonna talk about a lot about rerouting, a lot about ancestry. I'm gonna bring in some psychological research and models that support certain types of lifestyles and living all to drive home a point and a perspective I see of the importance of ancestry and the key that it has to establishing a future and a culture that we are proud of to hand off to our kids. So the first thing... I'm going to acknowledge is that I've stood in rooms with hundreds of men before and asked this very question that I'm going to ask you. I can't hear your response, but I'm going to ask it anyway. When you think to yourself and, and you imagine yourself and you imagine your parents, how many generations back do you go? Usually when I'm in the room with men, I'll say, raise your hand if you knew your mother and your father, and you see almost every hand in the room go up. Then I'll say, okay, keep your hands up if you also knew at least one of your biological grandparents. At this point, sometimes some hands go down. Then I'll go on and say, well, raise, keep your hand in the air if you knew at least one of your great-grandparents. More hands go down. Raise, keep your hand in the air if you knew or know the name or story of any of your great-great-grandparents. At this point, there's a pretty steep drop-off. Usually around the fourth generation is where we lose almost everybody. And if there's still people who are around, it's pretty unique to see someone who even just knows the name and the story of one of their fourth generation ancestors. Now, in contrast, I did an episode with a man named Kioni Hanale, maybe a year ago now. And he was talking about the ancestry of his people. He comes from a tribe called the Mu people who live in the Hawaiian islands. I forget exactly which island off the top of my head but they have a practice that takes them back 20,000 years in their ancestry, where they have rehearsed and recited the names of every ancestor in their bloodline. It takes them three days to do this. It's like an ancestral song that they sing for three days, literally. Imagine saying the names of ancestors over the course of 20,000 years, like 2,000, however many generations that is, right? And they say all the names and they also say a bit about the story or the purpose of that person's life while they were here. And just look at the contrast of that, right? First, second, third, maybe fourth generation ancestors. We barely know their name and maybe their story. And comparison to someone who's literally walking around on this planet that I've had a conversation with on this podcast who knows 20,000 years worth of ancestry. So the question is, what is the advantage? What is the benefit? How does it change a person when we know not only where we come from as far as geographical location and culture, but who do we come from? What is the cost of not knowing our ancestral narrative? Who our relatives were? Just think about that for a second. What are you missing out on by not knowing the story of the people that you come from? Or only knowing the story that's very limited about the people that you come from. I'll use myself for example. So I'm one of those folks that goes back to the fourth generation of ancestors. I just barely know the names of a couple of my fourth generation ancestors. And one of the stories in my ancestral line is that my paternal grandfather, meaning my dad's dad, immigrated to the United States when he was two years old from Japan, and he came here with his mother only. He was an only child. He came with his mother and they were leaving Japan because the story has it that my great grandfather, my biological great grandfather was an alcoholic and he had the tendency to be abusive. And so my great grandmother wanted to leave him and she decided to take my grandfather here to the United States. Now, that's pretty much the only information I know about my great, great great-grandfather on that side of my family. And obviously, having done some of the work that I've done, I've come to believe that there is never really a human being, in this case, a man, never really a man who is only an abusive alcoholic, right? There's so much more to that story. Not to excuse my great-grandfather from his behaviors, but to acknowledge that there must have been so much more to that story. But that's all I know about him, And that's the only part of his story that I can pass on to my kids. It's the only part of my family's story on that side that I can carry forward. It's pretty much a dead end. So now that's just my family example. How many of you out there, how many families have broken parts of their historical narrative that end with, oh yeah, he was a drunk, or oh, he went to prison, or he was a gangbanger and he got killed, or something else that writes off a part of that family history. almost to dissociate ourselves from it. And all the other reasons why we don't know where we come from, because certain information was deemed not important by our families that immigrated here, or the pursuit of assimilation to make a better life for the children that were being raised in a new place. There's so much of a rich ancestral legacy and lineage that was lost and left behind for the sake of adapting for the sake of assimilating into a new culture. Now, i thought about this a lot. This is a topic that I put a lot of thought and conversation hours and research and listening into because for me personally, it's very personal. I feel like there is a gap, like there's an absence of information relative to where I come from and who I come from. I can only learn so much by looking it up in history books and interpreting where my family might've come from and who we might've been. I can only interpret a little bit from my 23andMe test results and and some of the things that are available to us now, but really knowing my family's history and where I came from, who I came from, it's just not available to me anymore. And I've experienced a lot of grief in my life at not having that. I wonder if that's coming up for you right now as you hear this, maybe this is the first time you're thinking about your ancestry this deeply. Maybe it's something you've thought about more than I have. Either way, what does it create for you? What does it bring up? It's something important to contemplate, I think. Now, we talked about rerouting. We talked about ancestry. I've got you guys thinking about where you come from, who you come from. What about the things you don't know? What about this one? How many of you have ever thought about all of the violence that you've come from in order to be here? This is something that dawned on me. I I wanna say sometime in the past year, I was thinking about my ancestors and you know what? It came up when I was saying my prayers because I always give gratitude to my ancestors, including the ones whose names and stories I don't know for what they did in their lives. And one morning when I was saying this out loud, it dawned on me that, huh, I bet that I'm offering gratitude even to some of my ancestors who killed and destroyed an entire village of people so they could survive, right? I mean, if we go far enough back, how how many of us have ancestors who it was kill or be killed? And they won, right? We're all the product of relatives and humans who at some point had the better day than the other guy. And, And that's the reason that we're here because if our ancestors hadn't won and were killed, then there you go. That's a break in the chain. That line's not there anymore. If you're great, 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 great grandfather lost that battle and it went the other way in the other man's favor, then you're not here right now. So, I can't say it with great certainty because I don't have the anecdotal information, but I think it's pretty safe to assume that every single one of us living and breathing right now, listening to this podcast, contributing to this conversation is the product of violence. Some of us more recent than others, but one way or the other, we're all the product of violence and so many other things also. But I thought that was just a really interesting one to drop in there. So maybe not now, but whenever it seems appropriate to you, I encourage you to really reflect on what Has happened so that you can be here. The things that you know with certainty and also the things that you don't know. Now, now that we've talked about ancestry a little bit, I got you guys thinking, I want to introduce a concept that was. Very instrumental and has been for me over the past several years when thinking about humans and psychology and the, the things that motivate our behaviors. It's it's something called Maslow's hierarchy, Maslow's first hierarchy, and this is something that was created by a psychologist in the 1900s named Abraham Maslow. He has an amazing body of research, and this is probably the thing that he's most known for. It's the thing that I most know him for, and it was something that he created over many many years of research and observation of what motivates humans to do what they do. And most of us who are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs will reflect on the pyramid model that he has. And there's five levels to the pyramid. So I'm going to go through them in a very basic and rudimentary way and offer a little bit of my interpretation right now. But then I'm also going to show you the thing that most people probably don't know about this. So The first thing is your physiological needs, right? So it works from the bottom up. So the baseline level of Maslow's pyramid is the physiological needs, food, water, warmth, and rest. You can only go so long without food or water or warmth or rest before you will die. We all know this, right? Nobody can go without food, water, warmth, or rest. So if those basic needs aren't satisfied, if you're starving, if you're, thirsty, if you're freezing your butt off, or if you're dying of lack of sleep, then that's the only thing your body is going to be able to focus on. So as long as those physiological needs are met, which we know is not the case for all humans on this planet, there's plenty of people who are starving, plenty of people who are thirsty, cold on the streets, tired, then this is going to be the only thing that will motivate you. You won't be able to think about higher purpose, for example. So After the first level of need, the physiological category, the second level is safety. So in the second level, it's all about security and safety. Now, it's not just physical safety, although that's like our most instinctual response is physical safety. Am I safe? Is my family safe? But in modern times, it's also, is my ego safe? Am I financially safe? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Is my house going to get broken into by an intruder, right? There's a lot of different safety and security needs. So... Once our physiological needs are met, we start focusing our attention on safety. Am I safe? Am I secure? Am I gonna be able to take care of myself and my family? Once physiological needs and safety needs are met, then we start to open up to some more of what we would call the higher consciousness or the, sometimes people call these like first world problems, right? Relationships. The third level of the pyramid is belonging and love. That's This is my interpretation of Maslow's hierarchy, but it's all about relationships, right? It's all about how we get what we need and and how we exchange thoughts and ideas and love with other people. And so we need to feel a sense of belonging and connection with other people. It it was described in Maslow's hierarchy and it's something that we see evidence of everywhere we go. I mean, just look at what happened to people over the course of the last year with the pandemic. Right, how important were those relationships, the physical contact, the ability to sit down with somebody that you love and actually look them in the eyes and give them an embrace before they go. So belonging and love and relationships is that next tier of need. So as long as physiological needs and safety needs and relational needs are satisfied, then we can start to get into the higher levels. And this fourth level is esteem. This is the prestige, the acknowledgement, the validation of who you are as a human being, based on many things, but most predominantly accomplishments. So when we think about esteem, we think about the things that we are able to get recognized for, the things that we earn respect and approval for. So esteem is something that obviously if you're starving, you don't really care so much about esteem, but once your other levels of needs are satisfied, this is going to become the most important thing. Now, we could probably spend more time talking about this, but this is where I think a lot of us get stuck. A lot of us who are in this first world where our physiological safety and relational needs are met. Some of us get caught in relational as well, but if we make it past the first three levels, we start to suffer in this zone where we don't feel acknowledged and validated. We don't feel seen. Maybe we weren't given that validation from our parents, and so we look for it in our partners and all of those psychological patterns that play out in our lives. But one way or the other, if our esteem needs are not met, then we will never be able to get to the ultimate highest point of Maslow's first hierarchy, which is self actualization. Now, Maslow's definition of self-actualization was basically taking all of that potential that you have in your body as a human being and fully living in to who you are, right? Taking all of your skills, every ability that you have, every experience that you had, and squeezing every last bit of juice out of the berry so that you can give your fullness to your creativity, to your purpose, to your life. So self-actualization is about purpose. It's about creativity. It's basically alchemizing everything that you are and successfully delivering it to the people around you. So This first interpretation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs has a human being going through the most basic needs and graduating up every ladder, checking off the boxes, making sure those needs are met in order to get to the ultimate goal of self actualization. So, for those of you who already had this context for Maslow's hierarchy, awesome. For those of you who are learning this for the first time, you can learn more by looking it up and reading more about it. I'm giving a very rudimentary overview of it at this moment because this pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy is only half of the point I'm trying to make. The question I want to offer is why is this incomplete? Just take a moment. Think about that. Why, why is this incomplete? Why would... Self actualization and achieving your higher purpose be only half of the game. Just take a moment, think about it for yourself. Now, What I've learned recently, and this is something I really only learned in the past few months, but it made so much sense when I finally discovered it. A friend of mine passed along a link. She said, hey, check this out. Tell me what you think. And there's an article by someone named, uh, I don't want to pronounce it improperly, but Teju Ravilachan. Teju Ravilachan, I believe, was the name. And it spoke about a second hierarchy that Maslow had created when he was spending time observing the Blackfoot nation, uh, the indigenous peoples of the Blackfoot tribe. And It was was kind of remarkable because there was the whole article that spoke about Maslow's first hierarchy and his experiences in observing people from the Blackfoot nation and also side by side with people who were more colonialists, right? Like people who came from immigrated peoples who came to this country that were living nearby the Blackfoot. And comparing and contrasting in his research what he noticed of these different peoples, what were the commonalities of the basic needs that were driving both of these two very different cultures of humans and what was different about them as well. And so what I learned is that Maslow actually had a second hierarchy of needs. That first one was a pyramid and it was all about going from baseline physiological needs to self-actualization. But he had a second model, a second hierarchy of needs that started with self-actualization. Now, this blew my mind and also confirmed a lot of things that I already believed to be true. So when I understood this, I was like, whoa, okay. So his second hierarchy, not only was it not a pyramid and linear, it was in the form of a teepee. So a spiral conic cylinder that had a spiral element to it that started with self-actualization, spiraled around to the next tier, which was community actualization, and finished at the tip, which was cultural perpetuity which I translate to legacy. So let's put this together, okay? Let's take an individual human whose whole pursuit from the moment that that heartbeat occurs in your body to when you become an adult, your whole purpose is to self-actualize. And so you do. And growing up in a community In a community-based society, every human, every adult in that community, whether they were your mother, your father, your grandma, your grandpa, your auntie, your uncle, or someone unrelated to you, their job was to help you become you. So they provided your baseline physiological needs, food, water, warmth, and rest, until you could do it for yourself. They made sure that your safety needs were met. You were safe, you were secure, they protected you from getting eaten by a lion, whatever they had to do. They provided for you, they gave you everything that you needed. They let you feel loved and acknowledged and they provided relationships and value through the people that you were in contact with. And then they also acknowledged you and validated you and gave you respect and prestige for the achievements that you had as you were growing up until you were seen as an adult having achieved self-actualization. You know what your purpose is. You know what your gift is back to your community. You're prepared to become an adult but that was just the beginning. That's just the first half of life. That's just going from child to adulthood, making that 180 degree turn from I'm being taken care of by the community to now I'm taking care of the community. So the second hierarchy begins with self-actualization, right? It's like the second tale of the saga that says everything we need to know about what a community needs. We need more self-actualized people. And until an individual in our community is self-actualized, it is the community's responsibility to help that young person self-actualize. Because once all of the people in our community have self-actualized, when every adult in our community is a self-actualized person by the definition that Maslow gave, clear on your higher purpose, supported in every way that you need to deliver your gift fully, then the whole community becomes actualized. The entire adult generation is now actualized and capable of taking care of the next generation. And just let that land for a sec. Just let that sink in. Compare that to the reality that you have in your life right now. Are you surrounded by self-actualized adults? Are you a self-actualized adult yourself? Are you in community with people who are all self-actualized And if not, what's the cost of that? If not, is that not the underlying pursuit that every person you know is going after, whether they know it consciously or not? Because Maslow's suggestion was that every one of us is on a mission to self-actualize. Every one of us is on a mission to make it to the top of that pyramid. The problem is, is that most of us are doing it by ourselves. In this research I alluded to, Maslow was witnessing one community of peoples doing it almost entirely by themselves in this new first world Western model of what it looks like to be a human in this world and become successful, manifest destiny, capitalist ideals right next to and side by side with more traditional indigenous culture that knew that the power of the individual comes from the power of the community. And even further, that there really is no individual. The only thing that matters is the community, the family. Now, when people are living in that way, when we're valuing and prioritizing the actualization of the entire community, meaning every single one of its component parts, every single man, woman, and child gets to self-actualize, then, and only then, do we achieve cultural perpetuity. Now, cultural perpetuity basically means perpetuating culture, passing on culture, which in my terms is legacy. I'm taking the baton and I'm handing it to the next generation. And I can say and rest easy with great certainty that that culture is going to be passed on because we achieved what we were here to do. We self-actualized as individuals. We actualized as a community of self-actualized individuals and we recognized the identity of who we are and we pass that on to our kids. That's it. That was the entirety of Maslow's body of research when it came to the hierarchy of human needs. Now, a lot is up to interpretation. This was research that was done by someone in the 1900s, right? But just think about the concepts here and think for yourself, right? Don't just believe this because I've created a compelling argument and backed it up with some research from a famous psychologist, right? Think about this, just, does any of this make sense to you? Does any of this ring true in your body, your mind and your spirit? Because if it does, then we have to take into consideration how important this is relative to where we want to get as a community, as a people. And we start to bring in things to the conversation like the health of the planet, the health of the environment, the guarantee that is not so certain anymore of a good life for our children and the future generations. You guys have probably listened to me talk about rites of passage a lot before. And for those of you who are maybe just tuning in recently, you know that the mission of Rising Man is to initiate an entire generation of men into powerful and purposeful leadership. Why would we do that? Why would we spend time, all of these episodes of podcasts, all of these programs and things that we put out there, every social media post, all geared towards initiating an entire generation of men into purposeful and powerful leadership. Why would we do that? Because the reality is that we all come from a legacy of peoples who practice land-based coming of age rituals. And the majority of us, probably everybody who's listening to this podcast episode, I would feel very confident that unless you've experienced it through Rising Man or some other community that we're closely tied to, that you did not have a land-based coming of age ritual that signified the actualization of self that you needed. I could say that with great confidence, 99% certainty that if you're listening to this, chances are you did not receive that. You didn't achieve that. The reason why is because at some point our ancestors deprioritized and devalued that practice. For some of us, it was culture washed out of our peoples. Some of our people lost their traditions and cultures because of oppression from other peoples. It was made illegal to practice these ways. It was demonized, villainized. It wasn't safe, it wasn't deemed safe or culturally appropriate to do anymore. It was savage, it was less than human to do some of the things that our ancestors had done. Someone decided that, not me, not you. Someone decided that for our relatives, our ancestors. And the reason I'm sharing this all today, going all the way back to the beginning of this episode is that that heartbeat you have inside your body is your birthright to self-actualize. And not to do it so that you can have the fancy car and you can have the beautiful home and all the things to enjoy for yourself. Your mission is to self-actualize so that you can give it back to your people. So that you can turn around and help the next person self-actualize. So that we become a community of people who are all self-actualized. And then we can pass on the way to our children. That's all. I just want you to take that in. I just want you to think about that. Just let it stew. Let it marinate in your bones. See what it shakes up see what it brings up for you because I know it's brought up so much for me and it's been a long time coming that I've wanted to share this. So I'm going to leave the episode there so that all of you, all of us can just think a little bit deeper about what it means for us to reroute, to re-ancestralize, to connect back to where we come from in the best way that we can with what we have available to us. What would it mean for us to recreate and reinvigorate cultural practices of coming of age of rites of passage for not only ourselves, but for our children. What would that do? What would that create for all of us? I'll just leave you there with that question. And I look forward to speaking with you, chatting with you, communicating and connecting with all of you who are moved and triggered by anything that I said in this episode on this topic. Because to me, this is one of the most critical questions that we need to be asking ourselves as humans. So with that And great love and respect and admiration for all of you as people in honor of our ancestors and our relatives, for all of our relations. Thank you. All right, y'all, I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was really nice for me to share with you guys some of my ruminations about ancestry and rerouting. Remember to go to risingman.org and check out all the programs and opportunities we have for you, including our 12-week Ignite course. Go to risingman.org Ignite. Check that out today. Trust me, it is an amazing opportunity to get some powerful wisdom and foundation in your life. Whether you've been in the work for a while or you're just getting started, Ignite is the place to go. For access to links and resources mentioned in this episode and every episode, check out the show notes at risingman.org. Please subscribe to our podcast and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement to get all that great content that we're dropping each and every week. Give us a follow on Instagram at Rising Man Movement to also see the things that we're talking about and to contribute to the community conversation about the things that the Rising Man is all about. Big ups to you, you the listener. Yes, you and everybody who has been supporting the Rising Man Movement, including the power team, the leadership team, and the whole community of Rising Man supporters out there. Big love to you. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.